Good morning, Sleepy Town. I'm Beau Bartlett, and you're listening to The Art House. Art House Radio. Coming to you from way down, way down, in beautiful downtown Columbus, Georgia. From across the tracks, at 9th and Broadway, from the Carpenters Building, Columbus State University, 885. WCUG. We're also heard on Alm Radio, 96.3, in Charleston, South Carolina. We have a great show for you today, show and I do. We have an artist talk by the one and only Jerry Saltz, Pulitzer Prize winning author Jerry Saltz. He was in town in Columbus. Show was able to show up and record his talk, his artist talk about his book, Art is Life. Fabulous Artist Talks. We'll bring majority of that to you this morning. Thanks to Show Irakawa. We have a word of the day today. The word of the day today is Glockenspiel. Glockenspiel. Show, do you know what that is? It's a musical thing? It's a musical instrument. Perfect. Yeah, yeah it's, a, um, it's a percussion instrument. A little bit like a xylophone. Oh, okay. I think it's got two rows. And it's something that uh, is just used to sort of knock out the tune of things. Jerry Saltz compares himself to a glockenspiel. (laughs) So we'll go with it. We have a quote of the day today. The quote of the day today comes from Jerry Saltz. Get to work, you big babies. Jerry Saltz. (laughs) All right, so I've known Jerry Saltz for a long time. We've known each other for many years, him being art critic in New York and me being artist in New York. His wife, Roberta Smith, actually gave me a review in 1991 that more or less changed my life. So we had some fun talking about that while he was here on his visit. He also told me some of his favorite music. He is going to DJ for us today. So his favorite music is Bob Dylan, late Bob Dylan, he told me. So we're going to play some later Bob Dylan on the show. Let's get started with that. Let's start off with Ain't Talking. Jerry Saltz always says, just walking, not talking. That's when he takes a break and walks around his property up in Connecticut. So let's get started with some Bob Dylan. And then we'll get into the artist talk by Jerry Saltz from Columbus State University. Bob Dylan. Just walking 
to the cities of the plain. Hey, Jerry. Hey, Bo Bartlett, great painter and patron of the arts and helper of artists and teacher and kind of a spirit of the North and the South. Hey, Jerry Saltz, husband of Roberta Smith and excellent critic and Pulitzer Prize winner. Boom. <laughs> but she's the better critic, as you know, and I know, and I'm more of a folk critic. D- different. I'm very different. I'm a glockenspiel, and she's Mozart. <laughs> We're so grateful to you for coming to Columbus and gracing our little hamlet. I love this little hamlet. I walked over to Alabama a few times. I could move here. I'm an excellent driver. Uh, if anybody needs work, I was a long-distance truck driver. And uh, let me move down here. My life in New York is beautiful and hell. It's just <laughs> hell. Come on down. You are welcome. Thanks, Bo Bartlett. Thanks for all of your work and changing the art world a little bit. Mm. And you were brave. He was making figurative paintings in the, in, a, in a, a more photo, you know, a more realis, realistic way. I know he's going to disagree with all that. <laughs> At a time when it was against the zeitgeist, and you stuck it out. Uh, you just got to stick to your guns and do what you believe in. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Huge, huge honor for me to be here. Is it in the water? Or is it in the air? I mean, really? Columbus, Georgia. Right? Carson McCullers? That should have been enough. (laughs) Sister Gertrude Morgan had her vision here. Ma Rainey is from down here. That only changed a little thing we call jazz. Bo Bartlett's right here somewhere. Alma Thomas, the minute the Obamas hung that painting in the White House, bam, history arrived. Eddie Owens Martin, St. Ohm, and where was I this morning? Is it in the water? Is it in the air? Is it in the history? Was it in looking away? Was it looking at yourselves? Was it having to self-organize, right? And of all the outsiders, you know, that have been coming in to the insider art world where we all live, if we call them outsiders, we have to call ourselves insiders from now on because it's so arrogant to call somebody an outsider part of the country. Huh? or an outsider artist, or an outsider to anything where it's all part of the whole ball of wax. Only male Greek philosophy could come up with the idea of counting as high as two, and no higher. Men are pretty good at counting to one or two. Good, bad, black, white, right, wrong, north, south. The North has committed the greatest sin, of course, is obvious, of the sin of willed ignorance. American art history, as you guys well know, skipped over the South. I was on the panel that chose Amy Sherald to be in the Smithsonian show, the picture of the winner, and I, I know she was very, uh, opened up by one of Bo Bartlett's paintings. I was on that panel with three other people, and I remember seeing the work, and I missed it. I missed it. I thought it was great. My vote was yes, but they were arguing for her as the winner. And I went back, and I I voted no twice. They didn't make any strong arguments, right? So I went back, I said, well, you guys are having lunch. I want to go back alone. And I spent some time with this painting of a young black girl who was painted gray. A st- 
strange shade of gray. And then the rest of the painting was either in color and partly black and white. And I looked at the surfaces and I saw the love and the intentions and the investment and the faith and the leap of Mike Howard is here too. I knew him in New York. Hey, Mike Howard, he's a painter. And all of that, and I walked back into their lunchroom and I went, she's the winner. She's really good. And then she painted the first lady. Is it in the air? Is it in the water? What is it with you weirdos? That's impossible to have this much going on. So thank you. I've had a great time and the students here are amazing and the facilities are kind of off the charts. If anybody here is uh, funding that, thank you, thank you. There's no retiring from what you do. Why is that artists? Because art is not what you do. Art is what you are. It's a way of understanding the world. Art is a form of knowing the world. Art is a form of knowledge, of interfacing with it. And one of its primary powers, let me go back. Art, I would argue, is the greatest operating system our species has ever developed to examine and feel consciousness. And art may even be a way for consciousness itself to take pleasure in itself, to wear down like water on a stone, searching for a way to let these ridiculous molecules or God-inspired molecules, whatever team you're on, begin to experience this, the whole ball of wax, more than just the I that you are. Art is the greatest operating system we've ever developed for examining consciousness, the seen, and the unseen world. We have great images of hell, and yet hell was invented by us. Or unless you're a believer, which is fine too. There's millions of hells from millions of religions. You have yours. I know I have mine at 3 a.m. every morning. And one of its great powers is the opposite of a universe that we're living in now, which whatever political side, yes, he's going to ruin the lecture. Whatever political side of the spectrum you're on, you see certitude, certainty. That's things that count only to two, right or wrong. The art world can't function that way. Certitude is a lack of faith. Faith is based on doubt, and we believe in paradox instead of certainty. We believe that more than one thing is true at a time, and that is a miraculous and a quantum truth, okay? That's how art can set you free. I would add, Art is not a thing either. You make things, but what art is, the thing you make is not a thing. Art, the stuff you're looking at, is a verb, not a noun. It isn't a thing, a, a person, place, or thing. It's a verb. Art is something that does something. It might do something to you. We've used it over the millennia to heal ourselves. Vermeer is not just beautiful. Vermeer heals you of pain. When you look at Vermeer, you're in that kind of matrix of understanding of a kind of Western beauty that doesn't have any other, it's this sui generis, no comparison object. We've used it to get pregnant or to stop getting pregnant. The first sculpture that we ever had have is the Venus of Willendorf. Do you know it? Little thing, that big, made of soft stone, tiny head, tiny feet, huge breasts, giant butt. 
of woman. I conjecture that that's the first sculpture, and it was made by a woman, most obviously. They're all made out of soft stone, first of all. Second, do you know what the hands are doing? No one's ever paid attention to this. If you think about her, she stands like this, right? Now watch what she's actually doing. She's expressing milk so her baby doesn't die. These are forms of fertility or toys that you might set up on the sand pillow next to you or give to the kids, carry around with you, give to your son or daughter. I don't know what they were for, but we also now know they were painted. They were decorated, as were Neanderthals' art. They painted a species that came before us and died and had fire and hunted and had a material culture where they traded pigment, stone, other things as they would meet twice a year following herds or, or migrations of fish, always, always. Meet each other, you give me pigment, I give you stone, you give me flint, it's a good deal but they were also painting their tools decoratively. Why? Because you want to have the coolest stone. It might mean something to you. It might mean symbolic things. The hands in the caves, how were they made? Like this. You put pigment in your mouth, spit, and binder, and you go like this. And you pull your hand away, and what's there? You the first photograph. It's you. You proved that you exist. That you're also, the you that's in here also is now out there. It's a bit like if you have children, I, I happen to hate children, <laughs> but I do love children when they're not mine and I'm godfather to a whole gaggle of them. <laughs> How did I get here? Uh, children and whatever. 51% of the hands in the caves, we've now examined about 40,000 handprints from between 40 and 80,000 years ago. And remember, we only have 1% of 1% of 1% of 1% of 1% of all cave art. Because in order for a cave painting to exist, it has to be at the exact same temperature and humidity every second of every day from the second the cave accidentally got sealed. It cannot have a variation. That's why the second they open these things, the paint is already starting to freeze, thaw off. You know, water underneath the paint, and it's just like your house. There'll be termite, you know, it'll start, it becomes a life form again. 51% of the Handprints are female. It went without saying. It's just that we invented this bizarre idea of, the, of a patriarchal idea that art was made by kind of voodoo shaman men who would be smoking cigars and you ladies stay out of the caves. We're going to paint mammals now. And I would also argue that the mammals that you see, who here has seen a real cave painting in person? Extraordinary, right? Where did you see them? Spain, in the Pyrenees. I was on just on the other side of the Pyrenees in France, just next to you, and my mind was blown. And I walked in with the one idea of what painting was and art and cave art maleness. Um, they shined the flashlight, and in one hundredth of a second, I understood these are people that had been looking at and examining and understanding mammals for over a hundred thousand years. The bigger ones are closer to you, the smaller ones are further away. They had a very advanced perspective system, very anti-intuitive uh, how to do that. They had things where you would gather around and drink water. The water's long gone on the walls, 
but the poses are there. The male animals in rut, you could tell. The female animals in estrus, you knew. You could tell what month it was because of the moss on the antlers. You could tell if they were hunting or hunted. You could tell it all. I would argue that mammals have never been rendered before or after as great as those mammals. The third most common thing in the caves, incidentally, guess. Vulvas and phalluses. Just like you when you were kids. You would look up a dirty word. These kids on the internet, it's a horror. It's my godchildren tell me, Godfather, we have seen everything on the earth that you can see. And it's a nightmare to me. I had to look for my father's Playboy for a month until he would hide it. You know? And then I would go, that wasn't me taking it. Is she shaking me her head? No. But it's true. And so that's what kids do when they're alone. That's what you did once upon a long time ago. And you're drawing. Art has been with us, in other words, a long time. It's a way of extending itself and that we extend ourselves and are able to communicate what's inside of me permanently on a screen called a painting, a tapestry, or whatever. Since most of my lecture was given in six lines, and now I know how I could do it in the future, the things that I would say to young artists is get to work, you big babies. There's, Proust said there is absolutely no excuse for not working. I was as poor as any of you are. I was as you are. You still have to work. You have to find a way. You can't afford the bronze for your big, important sculpture. Sorry. You've got to build it out of cardboard. You can't afford the good oil paint. Sorry, you're going to have to get uh, house paint. If you can't attach a diamond to the surface, try sewing a button onto it. Your job is to get it out of you. You know how I write? I write as hard as I can. I'm so scared when I work. Who's scared while they work here? A lot, look around and see you losers. Don't be an artist <laughs> unless you really, 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 really have to be one. Because as you know, you're going to spend ungodly amounts of hours alone, very alone, and you'll go kind of squirrely. If you look at Rembrandt's paintings of his studio, a lot of artists wear weird, squirrely little secret magic hats. Any of you have to wear anything in your studios? Tell me what that is. What do you wear? Anything? What? Oh. He has to have the hood on because I have to be like a, what, a demon satyr? But he looks like one, if you could see him. He's got a beard that goes like this. Uh, good. Anybody else have to wear, yes? Apron. Oh, well, to not get messy. Respirator. That's an important thing. What else? What? A robe? I like that. Anybody here? I never have worked naked. Anybody ever work naked? One. Two. Bo raised his hand for fun because he's good looking. Anyway, so get to work, you artists. There's no excuse. I'm sorry. And you have to finish the damn thing. I don't care that it's too big and long of a project and it's going to take forever. Well, it can't. No, but I'm in a race against time. I started as an artist. But then demons spoke to me the same ones that speak to you. And what do your demons tell you at 3 a.m., artists? Anybody want to say one out loud, and then we'll start adding on? Very stupid idea. Jesus, what's your first name? Really stupid idea. 3.15 in the morning. Anybody else? OK. Being delusional is a good thing. <laughs> 
You're not good enough. And what's your first name that think you discovered the secret of the universe? What is the secret of the universe? Find a way to keep going. That's probably it. That's probably it. You know, you got to listen to a kid. This blabbermouth male would have gone on for an hour about it. So that, what other negative messages do you tell yourself? I didn't go to the right school. I don't have enough money. I don't know how to schmooze. Anybody else? What the hell am I doing? None of us know what we're doing. Bob Dylan said, it's like a ghost is writing the songs, and yet the ghost has chosen you. Can you choose your style? I'm not sure that we can. It makes me think that art, back to this idiot, hippie consciousness thing that I'm spouting, art may be using us to reproduce itself. I would love to write like Proust, but I can't. You might want to paint like Rembrandt or, or, or Mike Howard or whoever else is in the room I'm unfortunately ignoring. But you can't. So we can't choose what we do. You have to get out of its way. You have to open yourself. Constantly stay open. The fear will all, I'm 72. Inside I feel 41, but every old person in this room knows what I'm talking about. I look at the mirror and I see somebody 42, and when I come up to talk to kids, I feel like, God, you know, I'm like only 10 years older than them. And then I, no, really. And then I see them staring at all the hair growing out of my ears. But this is what, so you have to get out of your way. Don't over research. Yes, you have to research for your work. I want you to be the best assistance to your future self than you can possibly be. So get ready, have the quotes there if you're a writer, have, you know, pin up a whole bunch of idiot other images on the wall, do your reading, but then you have to get to work. Butt in chair, leave the butt in the chair. You must be in your studio. It's very important. You don't even have to be working there because whatever you're doing in your studio is working. It can come from just staring at how bad your work is, right? And then suddenly, if you live with your work, which I recommend not getting rid of it until it starts crushing you, spiritually. If you live with your work, what happens, artists, is quietly one afternoon while you're fretting and trying not to masturbate or whatever you do, yes, I ruined the lecture, you notice which paintings or sculptures or ceramics are misbehaving. You start to see that you were trying to get away with murder or not finishing something and sneaking your, or not changing enough or changing too much. I believe you should not stay in your own lane. I'm going to go against all the teachings, not here, but the general teachings. Never stay in your own lane. Do whatever the F you are called to do. If it's calling you to make art out of aluminum foil, do it. If it wants you to cut with scissors, do it. If it wants you to do something scary, really, really, really do it. This is about radical vulnerability. You're listening to The Art House on 88.5 WCUG and OM Radio in Charleston, South Carolina. We're listening to an artist talk by art critic Jerry Saltz from Columbus State University from this past week. One of Jerry's favorite musicians is Bob Dylan. Let's listen to Joker Man from 1983, and then we'll be back with more of the art talk from Jerry Saltz. Standing on the water, casting your bread, while the eyes of the idol with the iron head are glowing. Distant ships sailing into the mist, you were born with a snake in both your fists, while I heard. 
Dolly Parton wrote a song. Same three chords of all country and western songs. Genres are a lot like tuberculosis. Once they come into the land, they stay for centuries, centuries. Painting, the art world tries to act like an undertaker and a cemetery person or a mortician where it calls the author dead. Poetry is dead. The novel is dead. Painting is dead. Painting has to be pronounced dead every five or ten years. I don't know why. It's just something we do. Nobody's ever said sculpture is dead. Why? Because it sounds stupid. <laughs> Sewing is dead. What? A genre dies when every single thing it was invented to do has been done. You move into a genre called country and western. She uses the same three chords, the same time signature, and the exact same recording studios and techniques, and writes a song that goes something like, Jolene, Jolene, please don't take him just because you can. That's radical vulnerability. That is not a man singing to a woman or a woman singing to a man. Think about those lyrics. Who is she singing to? another woman. She's revealed a language that has been with us since the beginning. There's boy talk, there's girl talk, and yes, there's middle talk, so don't cancel me. There's everything talk, but no one ever heard the secret language of that talk. Please don't take him just because you can. Your lips of ruby red, auburn hair. Wow, I never knew people looked at each other like that. That was astounding. That's radical vulnerability. And that song, idiot song, it's like every other country and western song, lives right here in you right now. You feel it, where it almost makes you cry. And then later that day she wrote, I will always love you. Like Bob Dylan said, you can't pick what you're going to do. It's picking you. She got out of the way. She was radically vulnerable, this teeny, strange girl. Where is she from? Uh, Tennessee? That's right. Great. Is it in the air? Is it in the water? That's what you have to do. Don't stay in your lane. The genres are there waiting for you, my loves. They're beckoning to you. They want you to occupy them. There are great structures. Use them. Here's how I look at it. When I'm in a gallery, I think, I'm sort of famous. I bet people know it's me. <laughs> so I, that's the painting. I know, ridiculous. And I do this. <laughs> now I'll show you how I know when I'm around an artist. Here's how artists look at the same painting or sculpture. What are artists doing? How was it made, a.k.a. stealing? <laughs> yeah, they laughed. <laughs> stealing. One little thing is all you need. I'll make such a big effort to talk to artists about a show I've seen. You might try this one day, and you'll ask, what did they see? And they'll go, bumpy. The paint was very bumpy. And the next thing you know, they're experimenting with attaching styrofoam balls to the paint, or like dust or dirt. They're squirrely people. I was an artist. I listened to those demons, and they stopped me from working. I self-exiled. I have no degrees. I was always a wise guy like this. Why? Probably just because I'm a nervous Nelly and insecure as everybody else. But um, I self-exiled and became a long-distance truck driver for over 10 years until I was 40 years old. I drove from New York to Florida or New York to Texas once a month, sometimes to California. I became more miserable by the hour, filled with hate and envy 
envy of everybody that had a better life, just like you feel. I was feeling white suburban kid that I am. The world owed me a living. How come, why not me? How come you don't see that I know the secret of the universe? I'm delusional, I thought I knew, but in truth, I hated everybody. I was envious of everybody with time, money, tall, connections, no connections, everything you think about. Why her, why him? And envy is a knife you hold to your own throat. Envy will slowly eat you alive. I should have that loft. I should have that apartment. How come all these people aren't at jobs? Until one day in the trucks, I decided I can't stand this anymore. No way to ever be this unhappy. I had never written a word in my life. Not one word. Terrible student. Graduated at the bottom of my high school class of 859. Okay? Barely made it out. Never did one piece of homework. Huge loser. Poor. Lived in a squat with drug dealers, dogs. No heat. Okay? I loved it. I was a pig in shit in New York, but I was poor. One day I thought, I've got to get back into the art world. I can't stand this anymore. And I decided, maybe being an art critic, I could meet girls. And again, I don't have the vibe. The reason I got into art in the first place is I noticed in my high school that the people having sex were either in theater or art. So I became an artist. It was that simple. And it never worked for me, of course, but that's okay. So I taught myself to be an art critic by reading the school newspaper, our own personal porn magazine, and it's called Art Forum. Do you know it? It's a big, square, shiny thing. And so I would read them, bring big piles in the trucks and read them, and read them, and read them. And so I learned to write this way. The late commodified object of post-capitalist neo-Marxist dialectic finds itself lost in the simulacra between nature and culture. So I taught myself to write exactly like that. I stayed in their lane. I wore somebody else's idea of art. You have to make art in your own voice as pathetic, bad ideas, nobody cares, don't know what I'm doing. You don't know what you're doing, my loves, but you know how to do it. And only you can do your work, and I can give you some good news. When you worry about having a bad show and getting a bad review, I'm not looking at anybody special in this room, or no, all of you, that would mean, when you get a bad review and you think, God, now everybody knows I'm a big jerk, I'm a failure, blah, blah, blah. Here's the great news I want you to take with you. No one is ever thinking of you. Ever. It's amazing. I can write a bulletproof review where I think, I'm God. And now I'm going to walk around, everybody's going to love me. And I, they say, oh, you wrote something? And I was like, duh. So I learned to write that way. And one day, I put on my own hat. Where did it come from? Desperation, where all art comes from. What are the greatest things that make art? Obsession, desperation, just panic that you have to do this. Passion. Like, I have to do this as bad as I am. I have to get this out. I have to sew. I have to paint squiggles. Courage. All art that you look at has courage in it, my loves. Because the person, however bad or good, even my work, the person had the courage to do it. And that means they also had the love to do it. They had the courage to express their Jolene and then enough love to embed in the material of their work. Your job is to embed thought in material. That's your shamanic, alchemical job. 
You have to transform your thought. I had a curator step in back of my ears. I was looking at some pictures of black and white pictures of clouds and they said, aren't those clouds powerful, Jerry? And I went, no. And they said, well, they were taken over Ferguson, Missouri after the uh, riots. Aren't they powerful? And I went, no. They're generic black and white photographs of clouds. There's none of that is in the work. It's all in your mind. Now, all of us are seeing more and more and more art where the wall labels are this long. And they go, the nature and culture and the dialectic and the simulacra of the diaspora and bull dicky poo, you know, goes on and on. And then you look at the work and it's a brown painting. That's a problem. You have to be able to embed thought in material. In closing, what I want to say to you is a few things about, I think, where we find ourselves now. The art world has changed more in the last, in this century, than it has in the last 500 years. Everything, all bets, are still in place, yet they're all off. But it, all I'm saying about things changing is, if you worry that your art isn't political enough, or relevant enough, or what you're looking at should be more relevant, all I can say is the deep content of right now is in every one of your viewers. All that little litany I gave you of the last 23 years is in every viewer. And they are bringing that to your work so you don't have to bring it further. A little more. We then began to answer the question of how do we fix the system? And in the first 10 years of the century, we came up with one answer for every question. Mega. Make it bigger. And so we witnessed the building of museum upon museum, ugly atria upon ugly atria, architects with ideas that they would build huge glass buildings with no usable space for the art. Big, you've seen them, big staircases event spaces, atrium six floors high, and all the artists walk in and basically they are saying, well look, you could do whatever the hell you want with the outside of the building. We don't care about that. Make it look like a pharmaceutical company in Hamburg. I don't care, or a ship. But you better build us usable space because the art world, art is built on us art lovers and on the sweat and the backs of artists. And you look up at these 10-4 atriums and you go, couldn't we put paintings or something up there? Could you put some floors and walls? And they didn't. And now we have to air condition and heat them for the rest of time. MoMA spent a billion dollars in 2004 and built one of these things. And I happened to notice, I did the math, they built less space than they had before. You don't know how this happens. Maybe it happens because there's no artists on the board. I don't know what it is. And MoMA then had to build another museum. And when it first opened in 2004, that's how recent this is, all the way to 2010, what percent of the permanent collection before 1965 was women on view? Guess a number. It was 3%. And I started, I believe that a critic's job is to notice things and then say what they notice. And I, like a jerk, because I'm not an art historian, I'm self-taught like you losers, okay? I didn't know how to write about this giant megalopolis of modernism and all that stuff, although I do. And I decided to count. And I started counting. And I was horrified. And I did this once a year for about 10 years. And it took more than 10 years for that percent to go up above 13%. I now think that we could do this with modernism, my loves. Modernism was the longest ism that ever lasted in art history. 
Rococo was about 12 to 15 years. Everyone hates it. I would argue that it produced several of the greatest geniuses in the Western has ever produced. Chardin, Watteau, Fragonard, a personal favorite, Boucher for booty, you know, and the greatest of all, probably, Mozart. Modernism lasted 125 years, and it was founded on something that will soon be seen as psychotic. It was that art moved in a linear fashion, that one male painter would kill the last, would kill the last, kill the last, kill the last. Then we had a totally psycho movement called postmodernism, which was so Freudianly cathected on the father of modernism that it named itself after the father and said, we're after dad, that you were dead before you began, okay? Art doesn't move in a linear way, and it doesn't progress to a predetermined uh, teleological is the word we use, way. It doesn't work that way. It moves in a cloud. It's part of the whole ball of wax. I think you could rehang all of the museums of modern art. You want to leave the masters there, Picasso? Okay, he's a misogynist. Put him in the basement if you don't like him. Put him in a salt mine. Bring him up in 500 years. I happen to love the guy. I think he only got better, but the academics say he was only good through cubism. Um, wrong. Put him in the salt mine, bring him up in 500 years. If people like him, fine. You could rehang all the museums and say, from 19, say, the 50s, you could take out, say, Hans Hoffman or Hans Hacke, I'll just use names that start with H and H. And they're great artists. And put in a woman, white, black, working in Ecuador, Columbus, Georgia. Instead of telling the narrative the way we told ourselves, which is history told by the winners, we could tell what really happened. And said that this was going on at the same time. And it's no better and no worse. The Venice Biennale this summer proved that you could be 85% women and the show would not go to the toilet. Now the world changed. Modernism is dead. We're on our own. Art is now coming from everywhere, made by everyone. Museums are becoming home more and more, especially down here in the South, to more and more and more diverse audiences. They're opening themselves up. Again, the art's coming from everywhere, made by everyone. People will now argue that this means a lot of mediocrity is getting in. You secretly think it. Here's what I would say to you uh, with your shorts and a wad about the mediocrity getting through. Yes, there's mediocre work that gets through. Go to New York galleries, 85% to be generous of what you see, you go, this is shite. What's interesting is that 15% that remains having the argument about which is better, what's worse, etc. But more than that, my loves, 85% of the art made in the Renaissance was shite. Quality is a constant. It doesn't go very much up or down. Some periods in my, a little bit, where a certain zeitgeist happens and you get like some modernist writers, but then you could make a bizarre argument that Toni Morrison is the greatest modernist writer and she's not really of the period or the ism. You know, there's, it's so complicated and we've tried to do it so male where it's one or two, one or two. The good stuff stays and the less good tends to fall away. I remember artists of the 70s and 80s I loved. They're long, long not heard of. And maybe the youngest people here will rediscover them, because that's what's going on, too. So we built these big museums. I'm almost done, I swear. I better kind of wrap this up. The point is this. The art world 
is in the most exciting place I have ever seen it. And any art lover or artist or art interested person has never had an opportunity like this because it's all being rewritten. Every single thing, the history, the artists, the mediums, the techniques, what the definitions of good or bad are, it's all in play. We've built great museums. Look at the structures that exist in, in Columbus, Georgia. There's a machine here ready to deliver this whole century that's coming upon us. As conflicted as I painted a dark picture, there's always hope. Time starts every day. Time restarts every day. You're not the same artist or person you were yesterday. You have to let that go. You do not retire from art, my loves. You will be working on the last day of your life to fix it, to make it right. And that wraps up the Jerry Saltz Art Talk from Columbus State University. We had a good time with Jerry this week. It was a great time. We had a good time. I mean, everyone enjoyed his colorful and entertaining art talk. We're going to end with a piece of music, I Shall Be Released, from Bob Dylan, Jerry Saltz's favorite musician, And this is from Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits, Volume 2, from 1971. I shall be released. They say every man must need protection. They say every man must fall. Yet I swear I see my reflection Someplace so high above the wall I see my light come shining From the west down to the east Any day now shall be Just like that, we've come to the end of another Art House. Art House Radio from 88.5 WCUG in beautiful Columbus, Georgia, 
and OM Radio 96.3 in lovely Charleston, South Carolina. Thanks for listening to our show today. Show, do you have any takeaway from, from Jerry Saltz's art talk? I think that he made a claim more than ever that postmodernism is the is the case because while he was very weirdly kind of all around that, I think he made a point for postmodernism saying that AI's okay, copyright's done. That's very postmodernist, no? <laughs> so he, he basically sort of poo-pooed postmodernism on one hand, and on the other hand said, everything's all right, it's all good. Right, and I think that's very postmodernist. It's a version of postmodernism. Like, let's break it apart. The amazing thing to me is that, you know, Jerry Sauce is on the stage, he's sort of bumbling around, you know. It's, it's entertainment. Mm-hmm. It's fabulous entertainment. Everybody that was there told me after the fact they were entertained, and we were honored to have him in our little hamlet of Columbus, sleepy town. But the man is a genius. You know, he's a Pulitzer Prize-winning author. His essay about being a failed artist is one of the great essays of the last couple of decades. So I really think the man's a genius, and we were fortunate and blessed to have him with us here in Columbus. We heard Bob Dylan, Ain't Talkin', from 2006. We heard Joker Man from 1983, and I Shall Be Released from 1971. All Bob Dylan, Jerry Saltz's favorite. Hope you'll get out and make some art wherever you are today. Hope you'll go out and see some art in your town, your hamlet, in your big city. Hope you'll go out and see some art at the museum or the, or the local art galleries. In Columbus, we have Unaccompanied by Kate Capshaw. We still have Earthly Matters at the Bo Bartlett Center. And we have exhibitions in small galleries all around town. Hope you'll get out and see some art. Then go out and make some art. Express yourself. Draw, paint, write, dance, sing, tell your story. We have but one life. So let's live it. Let's live it up. And let's make this world a better place. Thanks for listening. See you right back here next week on The Art House. Love and light, y'all.